Oh, morning. Oh, hello. How are you guys doing? Good to see you out there. Uh, don't forget tomorrow's Veterans Day. Uh, tomorrow we have a special assembly uh, in this room at 10 o'clock, and we would love for you to come and yeah, be able to share that time together. I was reading a story the other day about a little boy named Alex, <coughs> and Alex was uh, standing in the foyer of the church uh, staring up at a display on the wall, and the display was covered with names and, and small American flags on both sides of it, and he'd been looking at it for a while, and the pastor walked up and, and said, good morning, Alex. Uh, he said, good morning, pastor, and uh, then he pointed up on the plaque at the wall, and he said, well, what's that? The pastor said, well, son, it's a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. And, and soberly, they stood there together and stared at the wall. And, and finally, Alex, uh, barely audible and trembling with fear, he said, which service, the 930 or the 11? <laughs> and, and so some kids are maybe too young to understand how important our veterans are to the cause of freedom. But we should be vigilant to remember. And I want to thank all of our veterans and active servicemen and women who are here today, if you're a veteran, or if you're currently serving, or if you have a family member who's currently serving at Armed Forces, would you please stand this morning so we can honor you, all of our veterans and people who have people in their family who are serving. All right, wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And our, our quilting club has done a special gift for a veteran and uh, his wife. And we did this in first service. And uh, so I'm just going to arbitrarily do it. Last service, we actually had somebody who served in World War II. But we don't in this service because you guys are all young people. So we're going to give this to the Haynes for their service to the country. All right? <clears throat> okay. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to uh, head over to Luke chapter 4, and I want to welcome you back to our series, Ordinary People, and hopefully you fit into the category, uh, because God only uses ordinary people to accomplish His work. Uh, God has never used a superhero to accomplish His work. God is the superhero, okay, and, and we're just ordinary people empowered by God doing what Jesus did wherever we are. Last Sunday, we saw the Jesus model for going out into the world to make a difference. And this morning, Luke chapter 4, and we're going to talk today about serving our community. Uh, Jesus had grown up in a town called Nazareth, and he had been growing up in that town uh, uh, for his entire adolescence. And now he was 30 years old, and one day he walked into the synagogue and he took up the book, and he began to read out loud. And I want you to see uh, how he began his public ministry and what he said in the synagogue at Nazareth. So Luke 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scriptural fulfilled in your ears. Uh, and, you know, Jesus had this approach to loving and serving the community. And it beginning with his own hometown. And when you look at the types of people that Jesus was anointed to reach, you find the types of people that we are anointed to reach. Uh, he was there to preach the gospel to the poor. So that's spiritual. Uh, he was there to heal the brokenhearted. Uh, that's emotional. He was there to preach deliverance to the captives. That's those who are in bondage to sin or a habit or addiction. Uh, he was there to recover sight to the blind. That's physical. He was there to set at liberty those who are bruised, uh, those who've been wounded by life. And as we started this series, uh, last week we looked at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus said to his disciples and all his future disciples that he told us to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And uh, we said this last week, the Great Commission is not sequential. Jesus didn't say, go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost. Uh, it is simultaneous. He said, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost. And uh, so there are four simultaneous mandates in the Great Commission. Jerusalem, that's a personal mandate. Judea, that's a local mandate. Samaria, that's a cultural mandate. And then the uttermost, that's a global mandate. Today, we're going to focus on our local mandate, serving our community for Christ. And, and God has already provided exactly what we need in this church body to serve this community. And we're going to talk about how all that works as we get into the message this morning. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And we also have notes uh, on the YouVersion app for our service. If you have YouVersion for your Bible reading, uh, our church service notes are right on that app if you'd like to follow along there. Uh, so we begin by saying this. Jesus modeled and mandated a holistic approach. And when we say holistic, we're talking about W-H-O-L I-S-T-I-C. Holistic, meaning the whole person. Spiritual, physical, emotional, relational. Uh, the whole family, the whole lifetime. Okay, whole person, whole family, whole lifetime. And, and so what does that look like practically? What has Jesus called the church to do in our community? And uh, we need to begin with the understanding uh, that the church... Uh, should be gospel-centered, okay? The church should be gospel-centered. And uh, Colby, uh, hopefully, I, I think I messed you up in first service, but you caught up and you did so great. And now I got it right, all right? So I'm, I mixed my points up. It's a private joke. Nobody else knows me and Colby right here. Um, so the church should be gospel-centered. All the things that we have, are talking about today, uh, they don't have any eternal meaning if the gospel is not at the center of everything we do. The grace of the gospel is what 
compels us to serve our community. We love others because Jesus loves them and because he loves us. I mentioned last Sunday that a person's pressing needs lead to his primary need. Sin in mankind causes pressing needs, and we all have them. Uh, health issues. Anybody ever had a health issue? Anybody? Okay. Uh, financial issues. You ever had one of those? Uh, relationship issues. You probably shouldn't raise your hand in church. Probably shouldn't. Um, political issues. Uh, certainly we have that all the time. Emotional issues. All right. Uh, how many of you know somebody in the room who never raised their hand, but you know they got issues? Okay. <laughs> uh, we all got issues, right? And those issues are pressing on us all the time. Uh, we have pressing issues. And, and Jesus offers to meet our primary need and our pressing needs. That's the abundant life that he offers. I love what it says in, in John 10. The thief comes not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And Jesus, the good shepherd, gives abundant life. Whole person, whole family, whole lifetime. And, and so it all starts with the gospel. If we don't have the gospel in the center of everything we do, then we can quickly become a church that is social gospel-centered where we want to reach out to all the pressing needs, but we never meet the primary need. The primary need is always the gospel. And, and so the church has to be gospel-centered. Uh, but then the church should also assist with physical needs. Okay, there are needs everywhere around us. There really are. There are needs everywhere around us. And if, if all we did was focus on physical needs then we wouldn't be doing what Jesus called us to do, okay? We would uh, just be helping people like a charity instead of a church. Uh, we'd help people's bodies but not their souls. But, but at the same time, if we're gospel-centered, uh, we should always be encouraged to help people physically. Helping people physically is part of our gospel mandate. And you see this throughout the Scriptures. Now, you could go back to uh, the law that the Jews were given as far back as Leviticus. And in, uh, in their law, it was written that if you were a farmer and you had a field, that you were supposed to leave a corner of your field uh, to those who were so poor that they didn't have anything. And so you're supposed to leave a corner of your field uh, so that people could come and they could glean and they could pick that up. Now, our farmers in this valley, they do this by dropping sugar beets on the highway, right? And onions, especially during, how many ever stopped to pick up an onion? Right, my daughter always wants to. <laughs> Shane's actually done it. Uh, Autumn is our dad. Look how many onions there are. Like, honey, you don't even like onions. So what are we going to do with this? So, yeah, but it, they were encouraged to leave a portion of their field or their vineyard for the poor. Uh, and then you... Fast forward like in Proverbs 31, and Proverbs 31 is about this uh, superhero woman called the virtuous woman, and she's like part Amazonian, part superhero, part complete saint, right? She took care of everybody, 
Yeah, but you should read it. It's really good. But she's, she's so busy. She's incredibly effective. And one of the traits that God says about her in verse 20 is she stretches out her hand to the poor, and she reaches forth her hands to the needy. And really, that's what we're supposed to do. We are called to help the needy. In the New Testament, James talks about people uh, who are outwardly religious, but they don't have any works or any uh, actual faith to back it up. Uh, he said, faith without works is dead. And uh, there are people who don't really have a heart for God. And then he says this in James 1.27. And this is the only time in the Scripture where the word re religion is mentioned. Here's what he said. Listen to this. James 1.27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's pure religion. That's real Christianity. One of the ways we serve the community is to assist with physical needs. And if we're gospel-centered, we will want to assist with physical needs. It's just a hand-in-hand -hand thing. The church should also offer emotional support. Uh, this is also in your notes. If you could give me just a smidgen more power uh, on the mic. The church should offer emotional support. Not only did Jesus reference healing the brokenhearted, there's some other key passages that show the mandate that we have to those needing emotional support. Uh, like in Galatians 6, it says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, right? What this means is if you've ever been caught doing something you shouldn't do, and it's caught up with you, don't raise your hands. And it's caught up with you, right? Like, remember, uh, how many of you, your, your kid, when they were three or four years old, you just made a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies, and all of a sudden, you couldn't find your kid. Like, where do they go? And you go find them, and they're around the corner, and they look at you with these big eyes, like, did you take a cookie? Mm-mm. Right? What's in your mouth? Mm-mm. Hey, come with me. I want to show you something in the mirror. And you lift them up on the counter, and you show them in the mirror, and they got all over their face chocolate from the chocolate chip cookie. And that child has just been overtaken in a fault, right? And we've all been overtaken in a fault. Now, what happens when we're overtaken in a fault? It says, you which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Right? It doesn't say you have to be perfect to help somebody else emotionally. But it does say that you're supposed to spiritually help people who have emotional needs. Listen to the next verse. It says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you're not willing to help people with emotional needs then you're not living the Jesus model, right? Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us to comfort the feeble-minded, right? We're to, uh, pastors are called to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. There's a balance, right? 
so some, some Sundays we're here uh, comforting the afflicted, and some Sundays we're here afflicting the comfortable. And uh, they're getting antsy in their seat, and uh, it's even been known to happen where people start getting a little red in the face during church. And I've actually had some people walk out when I was preaching before because they got so angry. It wasn't me, it's just the Word of God, right? Uh, but that's what we're called to do. We're, we're to help people. 2 Corinthians reminds us, in 2 Corinthians 1, that God is the Father of mercies and comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. And the church is called by God to offer emotional support. Now, who are the people, you just think about it, who are the people that God's going to call to offer emotional support? Well, it's almost 100% of the time going to be people who've received emotional support from God and a local church. And that's what we're called to do. Then the church should be hospitable. Now, what does that mean, hospitality? It's kind of a Bible word. Uh, what's it mean? Well, Romans 12 says it this way, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, focusing on other people's needs, opening your hearts to each other. Uh, Paul told the church at Philippi, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And the meeting of needs always begins with the people closest to us. Uh, if we don't meet the needs in our own families, in our own body of believers, we're not going to meet the community needs, right? Let's just be honest. Uh, being hospitable means looking around you to see whose needs you can meet. Who can you encourage? Who can you support? Who can you provide a resource for? And I'm, I'm going to give you some common sense lingo here this morning. It is much more likely that you can give and receive this support in relationships where you know people and where people know you, right? Uh, you usually are not just going to walk up, just common sense, you're usually not going to walk up and, uh, and help a complete stranger with something as well as you'll complete uh, the help of, a, of somebody you already know. And uh, that's why we have small groups, because they are the fellowship and support arms of the local church. Your small group knows when you're sick and when you're hurting and when you're grieving and when you're rejoicing. And hospitality is one of the New Testament mandates. It's practiced in the church through groups. If you read the book of Acts, they met in the temple courtyard, but they met daily in houses. They met daily ministering to each other's needs. Uh, I want to brag on one of our groups for a second, and I could brag on so many of them. I won't mention any names, but one of our groups uh, has a family in their group, and their precious little three-year-old boy has leukemia. And this group has ministered to that family so powerfully. Uh, they have made sure the parents still get to go out on dates. And they, they've kept the younger sibling for a day or a couple days. So they've provided food. Yeah, that's the way groups are supposed to work. It, it's so sad when people have life-altering difficulties and there's nobody there to help them because they don't have any fellowship relationships. God wants us to know and be known, to support and be supportive. That's New Testament hospitality. And then the church should extend generous affirmation. 
We should be the ones, the church should be the ones to lead the way in affirming good things in our community. We should be at the forefront of recognizing value in the community and looking for good things, uh, whether it's at work or the neighborhood or the school, the hospital, the newspaper. Uh, when we read an article and write a note of congratulations or thanks for those who serve, when we write notes of encouragement to people in transition and people under tension, and, and I'm not just talking about people you already know, it's okay to show the love of Jesus to people you haven't met yet. If you uh, have a story on Facebook that pops up about a firefighter in the community who's done something, uh, what if you just write him a note with the love of Jesus, send it to the fire station? If there's a tragedy, uh, offer love in the name of Jesus. If a business treats you right, affirm them in the name of Jesus. It's okay for the church to lead the way in affirming the good values in a community. Because when we don't do that, you know what rises to the surface? Bad values. It's so sad to see what's happening in a lot of the major cities around our nation. Uh, I saw a video just this week. I think it's in Brooklyn. And uh, this elderly gentleman, 82 years old, is walking down the street. And this guy walks up and just kicks him and knocks him over. And uh, they had it on a security camera. They're trying to figure out who did it. But you know what happened to that young person? He, he never had values affirmed in his life. Nobody ever came along and said, hey, this is the right thing to do, and good job for doing that. The only people who affirmed him were thugs. And they affirmed him for doing thuggish things. And now he thinks it's funny and cool to go knock a guy down on the street and leave him helpless. And that's not okay. And the church should be the ones to talk about that in both directions. We should be the ones who affirm things. You know, several years ago, uh, we put on paper uh, an acrostic that describes our approach to serving God by serving others. And we said, we're the serve church. We serve God by serving others. And then we said, how do we do that? Yeah, this is our serve approach. So if you've never seen it, this is the centennial serve approach, and it's in an acrostic S-E-R-V-E. So the S is this, strategic engagement with our community. And this speaks of the practical approach to the biblical purpose of evangelism. Okay, every one of these goes with the biblical purpose of the church. Evangelism, fellowship, ministry, discipleship, uh, and it, uh, we can evangelize our community for Christ in uh, ways that maybe we've never thought of before. We mentioned one of the ways last Sunday, saturation evangelism. And I love that term. Uh, and it's defined this way, using every available means to reach every available person at every available time. There are all sorts of ways to connect with our community to give them the gospel. Uh, but look, uh, the way we do it here, we don't all of a sudden say, okay, the church is going to start this ministry, and now we need somebody to come and help us with it. Now, these, these methods, uh, they're not started and maintained by church administration. They are started and maintained by God-called ministers in the church. Now, pastors are given uh, by God to equip the church for ministry so that the people can minister. And we never start a ministry without a minister. 
Now we have people come and say, hey, pastor, we should start this ministry. We should start this ministry. And I always tell them, we don't start a ministry without a minister. And so you be praying that God will lead a minister to start that ministry. And usually, you know what? If you're the one who thought of it, I wonder who God might be calling. Right? If you're the one who's always passionate and thinking about a certain ministry, it could be because God is calling you to do it. Right? But what we do is like, you know what? I'm the uh, elbow of the church, and I really believe the kneecaps should do this ministry. Uh, no, we're, we're all part. We, we can figure this out. God's calling us. I'm going to just spitball and throw a bunch of ideas out there and see if God would connect something with your heart this morning, okay? Because here's what we know. Here's what's so great. God has been shaping and preparing you for a lifetime to lead just the right ministry for reaching the community at this time. Uh, I love what it says in Acts 13 about David. It says, David uh, lived his life serving his family or his nation for his age, and then he went to sleep, right? He served his community during his lifetime, and then he fell asleep. He died. And uh, that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to serve our community while we're here. Maybe it's an after-school homework club for kids who need help and they need Jesus. Maybe it's an English second language class to help move people forward, and those people need Jesus. Maybe it's free tutoring or legal aid or community garden, teaching computer skills, teaching citizenship classes, free music lessons for families that can't afford them, financial classes to help people understand how they should use their finances. I'm just throwing out ideas. But I know this, God has been shaping you for a lifetime. So you can engage this community for Christ. And I don't want you to sit there every Sunday and think, oh, yeah, the pastor's up there to engage the community for Christ. No, the body has been called to engage the community for Christ. That's all of us. We all have a way to be on mission. Every member should be on mission. Evangelism isn't the job of just a few people in the church. Evangelism is a commission that has been commanded to every Christian. And and the last command of Jesus to be a witness should be our first priority. So that's the S. Let me give you the E. The E goes with the biblical purpose of worship, and it's this, earnest and authentic worship. And we believe that worship is more than a song. It is a heart that's bound before God. And it includes all the ways we approach God, listening to His Word, reading His Word, talking with Him in prayer, Uh, giving to God of our resources, coming together with the church body to express our love corporately. There are so many parts of authentic worship. And uh, and worship is uh, the main purpose why God put us on the earth. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why we're here. And so we believe in that. Here's the R. Real relationships. Real relationships in small groups. And that's out on the wall in the lobby as you leave today. Now, we're going to add two things to it uh, for the sermon today. Real relationships in small groups, support groups, and serve groups. Biblical fellowship is one of the New Testament purposes. And, and biblical fellowship is always better in a smaller group of people. 
Maybe God's leading you to become a small group host. We need more small groups to start in 2020. Uh, many of our, our groups have too many people right now. Uh, the number that's most effective for groups is six to ten people. Once it goes over that, a new group needs to be birthed. And so we need small groups. We always do. Maybe you're the person, though, that God wants to lead a, a serve group to do something outside the walls of the church, to reach out in the community with a group of people who are like-minded. And perhaps God will lead you and enable you to, ho to host a support group for a specific need, maybe even here at the church. There's a weekly group led by Brother Mark Keeney that's meeting now on Tuesday nights and uh, they meet around the topic of addictive behaviors. And uh, all of us have the capacity to be addicted to things. And this group is there to lovingly and scripturally offer support to bear one another's burdens. And I love the fact that they're doing this. The Addictive Behaviors Group, it's weekly. And maybe God would have you to lead a monthly mental health group. For too long, people who struggle with depression and diagnosis of, of certain mental illnesses uh, have been treated by Christians as if they just don't have enough faith, that they could just believe away their struggles. And folks, can we all set aside that wrong thinking? Just about every family is affected in some way by a mental health difficulty. And God wants us to lift each other up. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Uh, perhaps you would be the host for a comfort group for people who have experienced loss and tragedy. Maybe God's calling you to host a monthly meeting where parents can talk together about biblical parenting and discuss the challenges they're facing and encourage each other. Maybe God's asking you to host a monthly meeting that empowers marriages and offers support uh, to making relationships strong in the Word of God. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But he does. And when he impresses it on your heart, don't be alarmed because he's been preparing you for this for a lifetime. He's been shaping you to do this. And he wants you to have a part in his kingdom. Only God can use your tragedy for triumph. Only God can redeem your darkest days to give someone else light. Only God can turn your mess into his message for others. Only God can use you to comfort others in an area where you've received comfort. Folks, could we set aside the thinking that biblical fellowship is a quarterly picnic? Okay, that's not biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is real relationships that are accomplishing God's purposes. Let's talk about the V. Visible faith development. And we do visible faith development through next steps. This is the biblical purpose of discipleship. God wants us all to keep growing until we see Christ. Okay? You don't ever reach a point in your Christian life where you've arrived. Okay? You don't ever reach an age or stage. You're like, okay, done. Got this figured out. I'm just like Jesus, I don't need to grow anymore. No, we're all supposed to keep growing until we see Jesus. And, and I hope that you will. We believe in doing this on purpose. If you've ne never taken Class 101, that's a starting place. A class 101 is discovering church membership, the what, the why, and the how. 
There's class 201, discovering Christian maturity. Uh, The daily disciplines God wants to add to your life to make you like Jesus. Class 301, discovering church ministry. Maybe it's a ministry inside the church walls. Maybe it's a ministry outside the church walls. But God wants us all to minister. Uh, Class 401 is discovering life mission. The reason we're left on the earth after salvation is to share truth with others. Class 501 uh, is a 101 discipleship course that you take as a disciple, and then uh, you lead and you become a spiritual life coach to other people. You mentor people to follow Jesus as long as God allows you to be on earth. It's a lifelong calling. It's an incredible calling. Paul told Timothy, this is so powerful, Paul told Timothy, this is 2 Timothy 2.2, he said, the things You have heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Discipling others is a high, high calling at God's kingdom. And anybody can do it. No matter your age, no matter your spiritual gift, no matter your life experience. It just takes some commitment at about an hour a week. And I would love to see every person who takes next steps go on to become a spiritual life coach for another person, and then another person, and then another person until Jesus comes. And I know for certain that God would be pleased by that. And so what's stopping you from taking your next step? I really think about that right now. What's stopping me from growing in my faith? What's stopping me from taking my next step? It could be fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of getting outside your comfort zone. It could be laziness. Uh, Americans are just lazy, right? We are. It could be hardness of heart toward God. It's like, God, I don't really care what you have for my life. I got stuff I want to do. Here's what I want to ask you today. Would you be willing to bring that all before God this morning and tell him, God, I'm ready to move forward. I'm going to overcome whatever has been holding me back. I want to move forward with my next step of faith. Here's the last value of our approach. Every member, a minister. Every member, a minister. Ministry is one of the God-given purposes of the church. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've been talking about ministry throughout the message today, and maybe God has been tapping on your heart a little to get involved in a ministry that's already going. And we have a lot of them that are here inside the walls. Maybe God's tapping on your heart about starting something new. Uh, Several weeks ago, one of our men, uh, he had taken class 301, and he did his shape profile with our ministry coordinator. And he shared with me that God is leading him to start a security ministry during the church services. That's an awesome thing. I'd love for us to have a a security ministry. It's better than me getting shot, right? We have a security ministry, which if God wants me to get shot, I'll get shot. Uh, There was a guy in Kentucky, and they didn't have a security ministry, and somebody walked in the back door and shot him first, and he had his Bible up because he was preaching, and his Bible caught the bullet, right? That's why I have such a big Bible. Yeah. he, so he's starting a security ministry. That's going to be neat, and we'll share news about that. Uh, but what's God leading you to do? You know, the body only works 
when every member does his or her part. Can you imagine how your body would function if your feet just decided, I'm done, I'm not doing anything today, and your lungs decided they're tired, and your, fing- your fingers decided they already worked long enough, and your kidneys felt overwhelmed, and they just quit. How many understand that that wouldn't work well? You couldn't function as a body. It's the same way with the body of Christ, the local church. Every person has a function. Every person. Every person needs a ministry, and every ministry is important. That's how we serve our community. And uh, today as we close this message in prayer, I I want you to take just a second to get real with God. And would you be willing to ask God, God, what do you want my next step to be? What's the ministry you're calling me to do? Uh, God didn't call us to come to church. He called us to be the church. He called us to be the body of Christ, the hands and feet to this community. And there's something God wants you to do that he's calling you to do. Let's pray together. God, right now in our hearts, would you allow us to be real with you? Lord, there are some of us in this room who, quite honestly, we haven't really talked to you much lately. We haven't authentically brought anything before your throne in a long time. And would you call us out of our casual Christianity right now? Would you call us out of our fear? Would you call us out of whatever it is that's holding us back from taking our next step of faith, from serving you in the way that you have built us and shaped us to serve? Oh, God, would we not waste our lives, our time on this earth that you've given us. Help us to use our time to invest in eternity to invest in what you would want us to do and seek first your kingdom. And right now in our hearts, would you allow us to express this to you and then to follow through in serving you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before we dismiss,